Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Hey, everybody, Holden here. Hey, and I'm Jackie Zabrowski. We are here to invite you to the live Page 7 and Wizard and the Bruiser show in Los Angeles, California. That's right. We're coming to the Regent Theater on Wednesday, December 11th. The tickets are just $22. You can get your tickets at lastpodcastnetwork.com slash p7live. Come on out. You know you want to meet us. Yeah. See you then, y'all. Bye. Let the word go forth. Fool me once. Are you fired up? I'm not a crook. Are you ready to go? Shame on, shame on you. It's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, hosted by Ben Kissel. Boom, you can't get fooled again. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel here, hanging out with Travis Morningstar. How is your Thanksgiving, Ben? It seems like Thanksgiving, man. You may have murdered. One of our co-workers? I didn't kill Marcus. I gave him a power bomb, but it was a very polite power bomb because his now wife, she was like, Ben, don't hurt him. Don't hurt him. At the uh, And I said, oh, I'm going to hurt him. At the but last podcast meet and greets, Ben uh, is always saying, please don't hug Marcus too tightly because he has back problems. Then I see on Instagram that Ben is power bombing on a couch. Marcus on a couch. I think that's what jo- that's what Joe Biden would call malarkey. No, no. You, you have you have broken the tenant, the Joe Biden tenant of no malarkey on Thanksgiving. Hey man, if you can't do malarkey on Thanksgiving, when can you have a good bunch of malarkey? That's the most we're ever going to say that word. Uh, I had tofurkey. You did for Thanksgiving. But how was your tofurkey? Tofurkey is great. It's uh. But don't eat it around Joe Biden, because he might get it mixed up with malarkey, and then he'll beat you upon the head with the malarkey shillelagh. I agree. Yep, power-bombed Marcus Parks. He's doing great. He's uh, fully recovered, and we will be on the road this weekend in Toronto, Detroit, and beautiful, beautiful, stunning Columbus, Ohio. Cannot wait to see everyone out there on the road. We hope you all had a great Thanksgiving and had a wonderful time with family and friends. Yeah, I really can't wait to become an ice sculpture in Toronto. It's going to be so freaking cold. I have to go to the laundromat as soon as we're done recording, and I'm going to get my full body, my full body long johns. Yeah. And they button up from like the crotch to the neck, and I'm going to feel like a real farmer, John, but I don't know how to milk a cow. So hopefully I can be mildly warm when we travel to the Midwest because we only go to places during the perfect time, during when they're in season. And winter is in season for the Midwest. We're good. We're always geniuses. Speaking of geniuses, we're going to talk a little bit later on here about NATO 
the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. Man, they are such adults over there. We're going to talk about which states are paying uh, over 2%. We're going to talk about which countries are paying over 2%. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the real housewives of the world. Mm -hmm. Drama. I guess I shouldn't even say housewives. These are mostly men. They're mostly old men. And they act like they are on a reality show that takes place in a Florida retirement home. They are bickering. Travis, they bicker. Isn't that fun to see? It's like a sitcom, but with nuclear weapons. So we're going to talk about NATO. Uh, we are also going to talk a little bit about the impeachment inquiry. It's moving on. It's growing up. Isn't this nice? Yeah, I, I mean, to be honest, I thought it was over. I, or I thought the I thought the house part was over, but the, no, it was just no. the first <laughs> chapter. The first chapter, and they're rushing it, and it still seems it's still quite long. Yeah. Oh, it's like the uh, what's the the kid in the wheelchair and Malcolm in the middle from Malcolm in the Middle. <laughs> I am so tired <laughs> of hearing about impeachment. It goes on and on. It's very long-winded. So we'll talk a little bit about the new developments regarding impeachment. I also just want to read this article that was written by a woman who works at Amazon, an Amazon warehouse. Man, it seems like a waking nightmare. Have you heard any good stories about employee conditions at Amazon? Just one. I have not heard any other than their commercials. And their commercials for Amazon workers are literally like, they're paying, they, they may pay for my school so I don't have to work here forever. Maybe if I win the Amazon lottery. Meanwhile, Jeff Bezos has enough money to give every single one of his employees, if he so wanted to, and he'd still have a billion dollars left over, he could just send them all to college. I don't know if you've seen um, on Twitter, Amazon, basically they hire uh, sort of customer service reps to be on Twitter, but sort of be themselves. So you're like, Rebecca from Amazon. Yeah. And they can only speak in positive terms about Amazon to the, point, to the point where people are like trying to get them. And uh, it is bizarre to watch someone defend Amazon despite the, the, the evidence that their own work experience is, is so miserable. I think it's called Stockholm Syndrome. I think it's called uh, Bezos will vanish you if yes. you uh, if you say anything negative about the company. He'll shoot you with a gun that's straight out of the video game, The Outer Worlds. You will be evaporated. You will be gone Are forever. Are you playing a new video game? <laughs> is this evident? Is this, <sighs> this? Yeah, buddy, I'm playing a new game. Big revelations here. Ben has moved on I've from moved his three year. Uh, campaign in what was the game? I played Division Two, D Division not two. for three years. That was a good six months, and then I then I beat Modern Warfare the campaign, which was incredible. By the way, have you played Modern Warfare the new one? No, Call of Duty? You know, I over the over the break I played Tomb Raider. The, the is there a new Tomb Raider? Well, yeah, it's like a not PS, the old one. No, a PS4. A PS4 version of Tomb I remember Raider. the PS1 Tomb Raider. My older brother got it, and I believe there was a code that you could make her topless. But like it was still like triangle boobs oh, because yeah. everything was very square and sort yeah, of like it's jagged, like ripping the bra off the pyramids. Like yeah. it's not, it's not, uh, it's not really saucy. Although I, I know for a fact a lot of people are aroused by Lara Croft because they love a strong woman. Well, in the British accent, I didn't even know she was British. She is British. No kidding. Well, speaking of strong women. 
she is a strong woman. Yes. But she did have to drop yes. out of the presidential race. The first topic today, Kamala Harris. Oh, she's gone. California's top cop is out of the race. The top and cop to has her, dropped out. To her, I must say, that'll do, pig. That'll do. Wow. Wow, Travis. That is harsh rhetoric coming well, from you. You know, she. so she started her, her campaign on MLK's birthday. That's how yes. she started her whole I know. in the race. But well, now she but she has ended it on December third, which is Brendan Fraser's birthday. Hey, look at that. Yeah. So Happy go- birthday, Brendan Fraser, as of recently, rather. Um, but of course you remember she started her campaign. She had a uproarious press conference. Around 20,000 people showed up. She had a lot of heat. She had a lot of momentum. She was kind of marketing herself as the female Obama. That was the lane she wanted to fill. Now she's the now she's more closer aligned to the female RoboCop. Yes, perhaps. And so she really had a lot of potential and people were thinking that she could go all the way. However, she hit some snags in the road. Number 1, as Travis has alluded to, her police background, her her prosecutorial her position as a prosecutor in California, her record as a prosecutor in California, came back to bite her the same way that she bit a lot of the poor working class people in California when she was a prosecutor. People thought she was speaking sort of out of both sides of her mouth when she was trying to be a civil rights icon. Meanwhile, as a prosecutor, she did devastating things to specifically people of color and people with low Income, The Truancy Act that she passed through, the truancy bill uh, that she enacted and put in place was absolutely horrible. A lot of people couldn't square that with her rhetoric. She's trying to be a uniter. She's talking about busing. She's discussing these things, trying to make herself seem as if she is the one fighting for the working class but again it's hard for a prosecutor to come across as sympathetic when you make a career out of putting people mostly poor people mostly brown people in prison so i feel as if that was why she never really caught on with african americans and with the general electorate within the democratic party that was number one and she thought, I mean, she really did think that um, South Carolina was going to be the big state for her. But it turns out the black voters in South Carolina liked Joe Biden more than well, her. Now, Joe Biden, of course, as we've talked about, he has inroads with the black community. He has now, this will be the third time he will be in a Democratic primary. Uh, well, I guess the second, because you figure the second term of Obama, there wasn't really a primary, although theoretically there was a vote, I suppose. But the black voters know Biden. And when they were getting kind of sick of Joe Biden, when they're like, maybe Joe Biden isn't our guy, they didn't go to Kamala. Uh, They didn't go to Cory Booker. Currently, they're going more towards Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren because they like their rhetoric about income inequality. They like their rhetoric about education and they like their rhetoric about health care. Kamala Harris doesn't mark any of those boxes. Of course, with healthcare, she struck a more centrist tone, saying that she'd have something similar to Medicare for all, but not Medicare for all. And when it comes to education, she didn't go as far as saying free college for everyone. Now, again, I'm not saying that those positions are wrong. I'm just saying those positions that she put forward didn't resonate with a large group of Democratic primary supporters. 
and the people that she could have gotten, the ones who were looking at Joe Biden being like, oh, Joe, I kind of like you. I voted for your your boy Obama twice, but it seems like you may have fallen off just a little bit and your brain ain't so good at working right now. Yeah, and besides waffling on her prosecutor record, you know, trying to have it both ways with moderates and progressives, one you know, one of her more um, memorable tenets of her platform was uh according to the debates, let's get Trump off Twitter. Uh, to, so, that he, right. so he stops violating the terms uh, of service. Can I get an amen? Oh, that was so stupid. Yeah, the getting Trump off of Twitter. <laughs> oh, that's right. We spent uh, a solid 10 minutes on, on a national debate stage where Kamala Harris was yelling, I believe, at Elizabeth Warren. And she said, won't you agree that Trump needs to be off of Twitter? And, and whatever happened I don't... to Fave Star? Let's bring it back. Ladies and gentlemen, we need Fave oh, Star back. God. That was so stupid. Oh, my goodness. So anyway, her campaign never really uh, – it, it got going, but then it quickly got well, sort well, of muddied after- up in the campaign – in the primary campaign uh, within the Democratic Party. And after one of uh, the debates where she – she, you know, got Joe Biden. He pushed her, pushed him back on his heels a bit. I don't remember which one this was, but I believe that was the busing conversation. Yeah, yeah. Which that's a whole nother I mean, conversation. And then she kind of she like skyrocketed in the polls after that. And then just weeks ago, I mean, she was in the single digits yes. as far as uh, the polls go. And now a lot of people, of course, are saying, "Why did she drop out? Why didn't Pete Buttigieg drop out, for example, or Andrew Yang?" Well, it turns out. It's all about money, and she just simply doesn't, doesn't have, have any more. Buttigieg does. This is what Harris wrote. This is a uh, a right. This is what she wrote to supporters and staffers. She says, "Quote: My campaign for president simply doesn't have the financial resources we need to continue." So there you go. And of course, when it comes to money in politics, oftentimes it correlates with political success. The more political success you have, the more money you get. But, of course, you also need money to get political success. So it's sort of a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. But why is Pete Buttigieg still in there? A lot of people are wanting to play the race card. Uh, of course, he's a white male, but then he'll be like, but I'm gay. And then they'll be like, it's, doesn't that suffice? Uh, but nonetheless, uh, he has donors. Yeah, he I mean- has big money donors, but he does have donors. And because of that... He's allowed to stay in when he hasn't. When he, he's not really polling. I think I saw one poll where he was at like nine, uh, but he hasn't really topped the double digits. Although in Iowa, he is doing fairly fairly well. Money literally talks. I mean, one, so apparently one it of it has a constitutional right one, to talk, yeah, Travis. Exactly. Okay, it's yeah. a human. It being. is. It is a person. I mean, one of uh, Harris's donors supporters actually told her to drop out uh, yes. after she had to lay off. Uh, unceremoniously a big chunk of her staff without any warning her whole campaign team apparently was in disarray well this is according to a Harris insider she wants to be anonymous Uh, she says she didn't exactly have a sense of who she was and what she believed and what she wanted to get done Uh, She goes on to say, and sooner or later, that stuff gets exposed. The insider continued, her strategic plan wasn't clear. Uh, So that really was the main problem when it comes to Kamala. You think about someone like like Barack Obama in 2007 when he was running. His campaign, it was genius. I mean, this is still a time pre-social media. This is when 
political rhetoric can really stick. And he did such a good job of using mantra. He did such a good job of just hope and change. Shepard Ferry made uh, this kick-ass Barack Obama, you know, sort of painting, drawing. Everything about Obama was on message every single time he spoke. Every single place he went, he stayed the same. Who did not stay the same was Hillary Clinton and specifically Hillary Clinton's surrogate, Bill Clinton, who, if you recall, in South Carolina really said some extremely racially charged, uh, had some racially charged rhetoric uh, regarding Barack Obama and how Barack Obama wasn't suitable and things like that. But Kamala Harris, yeah, it never really came out what her position was. And even if your position is something that isn't aligned with the left of the Democratic Party, you still have to make your position known. And I feel like that's an issue still for Joe Biden when it comes to him not being able to articulate exactly what he would do when president of the United States. And I think for Biden, it's less excusable for than for Kamala, because, of course, Kamala, she's a baby when it comes to running for president. This is her first time. She has never been in the Oval Office. I think Biden needs to start showing up with an actual policy plan and more policy rhetoric. Otherwise, we're going to continue to see the rise of Bernie Sanders and continue to see the rise of Elizabeth Warren. And it's going to be a two-person race between who can be uh, the Democratic, uh, you know, king. Well, speaking of that, I do want to read a little bit of this article from Salon. Do we have to read from Salon? It's on. It's Salon is just one of many okay. that have 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 uh, brought this article up. It's not from Salon. It's not a Salon exclusive. Ben. Okay. Um, Obama privately vowed to intervene in primary to stop Bernie Sanders from winning nomination. What's he gonna do? So former Is he gonna kill him. Former yes, former President Barack Obama privately told advisors that he would intervene and speak out to stop Senator Bernie Sanders from winning the nomination if he surged ahead. The new report details meetings and discussions that nearly all Democratic presidential candidates have had with Obama as they seek the party's nomination. Ryan Lizza describes Obama's preferred role in the primary as providing guardrails to keep the process from getting too ugly and to unite the party when the nominee is clear. But based on interviews with multiple Obama advisors, Sanders is a potential exception. When Sanders was seen as a bigger threat to win a nomination, Obama privately vowed to break his public pledge not to intervene in the primary and speak out to stop Sanders from winning. What can he do? What's he going to do? Yeah, that is my question, too. I mean, he... Because he already gave his... Pre- he already had the conversation that we heard that when he was talking to the Democratic donors, and I believe we spoke about this two weeks ago, where he said Americans really don't want radical change. And it seems to me... As we're going to talk about with this Amazon worker here coming up, that Americans desperately need radical change. But, I mean, this is kind of telling. Obama did not issue such dire warnings about Elizabeth Warren, uh, who is seen as the other progressive frontrunner in the race. So it does It does sort of, there is. there has been this um, uh, idea that Warren and Sanders are one and the same. I mean, obviously now we're seeing more and more that, oh, that, absolutely. Is, that, is, that is not the case. Yeah. But now... <laughs> With Obama saying, I will come out of, you know, I will come out of the shadows. I will come out of my Netflix cocoon to rattle the cage of this uh, of this voting process. It really does speak to that Sanders is the the revolutionary person in this race. And Warren is more cleaving towards the uh, sort of the status quo, or at least in Obama's eyes, at least in Obama's eyes anyway. 
Nothing whets my appetite quite like a long day of recording shows. But after taking the subway home on a snowy afternoon, the last thing I want to do is schlep to the grocery store. That's why tonight I'm ordering in with DoorDash. DoorDash connects you to all your favorite restaurants in your city. Ordering is easy. Just use the DoorDash app and choose what you want to eat, and your Dasher will bring it right to you wherever you are. Not only is that burger place you love on DoorDash already, but over 310,000 other amazing restaurants are too. DoorDash connects you with door-to-door delivery in over 3,300 cities and all 50 states across the United States and Canada. Order from your local go-tos or choose from your favorite chains like Chipotle, Wendy's, Chick-fil-A, and the Cheesecake Factory. Don't worry about dinner. Let dinner come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners get $5 off their first order or $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code TOP. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter promo code TOP. Again, that's promo code TOP for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. Uh, So just finally here on Kamala Harris, this is again according to The Insider, and I wish they would give their names So if you're going to say something, I feel like you should say it on the record. But, you know, people aren't that strong all the time. They're not like us podcasters. No, we say what we think, don't we? Uh, This is what she has to say. She says she was all over the map on health care and criminal justice. She goes on to say, was she a prosecutor or a public defender? It wouldn't have made much difference which role she decided, but she started bouncing around to be all things to all people. Voters instinctively understand your heart's not in it. So that was the problem with Kamala Harris. It was 100% messaging. And for those being, for those that are upset for the Kamala Harris supporters out there, she's still a senator. She's going to be fine. And she's also very young by presidential standards, as we've seen, um, because currently I think the average age is 80. She's got time. She's got plenty of time if she wants to run again, get a message, get a record in the Senate, and perhaps she'll have more uh, and if, more ground to stand for on. people feeling you know hurt that you know this the only black woman candidate is now dropping out and that people are feeling glee about it. Look, once once Buttigieg drops out, I will be doing the high hope stance on his uh, candidacy. I you know I will I will happily be applauding that as well. I you know because you're because you're homophobic. I understand. <laughs> All right, let's move on briefly here to NATO. Got me. You got, got me. I got you. Let's move on to NATO uh, again. The North Atlantic Treaty Organization. Uh, nothing happened. It was two days of not even quite two days for Donald Trump. Just about uh, let's say thirty-seven hours of just people, the most powerful people in the world getting together and kind of just being snide with one another. But I do want to talk about GDP and how much certain European members are paying. Because, of course, when Donald Trump took office, he wanted NATO countries to pay more of their GDP. And I agreed with him on that because they should be. Uh, This should be a fair situation. So as of Thursday, several European members had moved closer to their pledge of dedicating 2% of their GDP on defense while others were still lagging. So who is doing, who's getting the 2% goal? We got Estonia. Thank you, Estonia. That's big time money right there. 2% of their GDP, huge. Greece. Thank you, Greece. You guys are doing great financially. We'll take that money. Poland, 
Latvia, Lithuania, and Britain were estimated to have met the 2% goal. However, some of the nations with money, such as Germany, well, and not so much Italy, nah, not so much Spain, not so much Luxembourg, but nonetheless, Germany, Italy, Spain, Luxembourg, and, and Belgium, they are nowhere near meeting their pledge. So get on it, Germany. What is wrong with you? We saved you. We saved you and saved you. We, we saved them? Yeah, we saved them with the Marshall Plan. We, we, we gave them so much. I mean, we're like, you can't have a military because you know what they had when they had a, You know what they did when they had a military, Travis? They, they created they, a line of very fashionable outfits. Yeah, well, they didn't, they that didn't do very good. would later be featured in Tarantino films and uh, various documentaries. Yes, that is very, very true. But that's why we said, after World War II, we said, Germany... Oh, you did bad with that military, and now you don't get one. And now Germany is doing bad again because they're not paying what they should be paid in to NATO. It's an so, incredible. <laughs> it's an incredible uh, equating. Not I'm pay, not equating. Not I'm paying, just saying Germany continues not paying their two percent well, fee. To- <laughs> all right, my God, don't you're trying to. Oh, so I'm, I'm being a real Germany over here. Yeah, you are. So thank you, Estonia, Greece, Poland, Latvia, Lithuania, and Britain for paying your fair share. And Germany, Italy, Spain, Luxembourg, and Belgium, why don't you step it up a little bit? Thank you. Okay, so what was the big takeaway from the NATO conference? Again, nothing that really matters, but we'll talk about it because it is politics. So Donald Trump, he met with Turkey and he met with Germany. Of course, the meeting with Turkey is interesting uh, because Erdogan, obviously, when we were talking about uh, Syria, when we were talking about the Kurds, uh, the Turkish government, there's no love lost between the Kurds and the Turks. And so it was interesting that he met uh, with Erdogan. And it was also interesting that he met with Germany, despite the fact they're not paying their fair share. We don't know exactly what was talked about uh, with Erdogan and Donald Trump, I would assume it was based mostly on economics. But of course, when it comes to the economics of that region, war is always close to the conversation. Uh, we haven't heard too much about Turkish troops invading into northern Syria as of recently, unless I, unless I'm missing something. No, I'm, I mean, Donald I've, Trump gave him the green light to go into northern Syria. Yeah. Um, So they met with each other, and this is what Donald Trump tweeted. He says, just finished meetings with Turkey and Germany, heading to meeting now with those countries that have met their 2% goals, followed by meetings with Denmark and Italy. So you see, if you meet the 2% goal, Travis, you get to meet Donald Trump. Yeah, meet and greet. So you get a meet and greet with maybe a picture and a poster, a signed poster. We'll see you in Toronto, we will see you in Columbus, and we will see you in Detroit. And if you paid your 2%, you get a meet and greet and a signed poster. Uh, Donald Trump tweeted from London, When today's meetings are over, I will be heading back to Washington. We won't be doing a press conference at, at the close of NATO because we did so many over the past two days. Safe travels to all. In another post, he touted, quote, Great progress that's been made by NATO. Over the past three years, this is what he wrote. He said, countries other than the U.S. have agreed to pay $130 billion more per year. And by 2024, that number will be $400 billion. NATO will be richer and stronger than ever before. What's not stronger than ever before is the love affair or the relationship between Justin Trudeau 
and Donald Trump. Justin Trudeau was caught on camera making fun of Donald Trump for, quote, doing a 40-minute press conference off the top, which is why Donald Trump was late to a meeting. And then Donald Trump was like, that's mean-spirited. And then he called Justin Trudeau two-faced. And of course, if you recall Justin Trudeau when he wears blackface, he is a little two-faced. He's both black and white. Isn't that exciting? And then, of course, we also had the conflict uh, regarding Macron, the president out of France, uh, who sort of made fun of Donald Trump as well. Now, I obviously you know you know my thoughts on Donald Trump, but when it comes to Macron, he's actually doing worse. He's at thirty four percent right now in France. Nobody likes him. He's considered a globalist, and people are super pissed. So. When we talk about these foreign leaders, a lot of the press clippings you'll see is like, you know, foreign leaders make fun of Trump. Foreign leaders don't like Trump. But a lot of these foreign leaders are total failures also, like Erdogan. So it's like, okay, great. A bunch of douchebags don't like another douchebag. And it's really hard for me to care if Donald Trump is in the cool boys club when it comes to NATO, because none of these people are cool. And all of these people in one form or another are screwing over Oh, you know, let's just say three billion folks worldwide. I mean, but as far as NATO goes, this is one of those unintended consequences of being uh, of withdrawing those troops and being so pleasant with Erdogan is that the rest of the international community does not have confidence in the in America because they don't feel like uh, they can rely on Trump to be uh, an adult. Well, they definitely can trust on getting our money, which is the most important thing. So who is in NATO? We'll just talk about this just quickly, just so you know, if you're at a bar and it's like trivia, like how many countries are in NATO? What are you guessing? Travis, how many countries are in NATO? 28. Seven. Oh. 28. 11. Or 29. 28. 29. Uh. You got it wrong. The answer is 29. There are 29 members of NATO. Uh, There are 12 founding members of the alliance. This began in 1949. The first 12 members are Belgium, Canada, Denmark, France, Iceland, Italy, Luxembourg, the Netherlands, Norway, Portugal sneaks in, the United Kingdom, and the United States. And then as of 1952, we allowed Greece and Turkey. 1955, Germany was good enough for a long enough time We said, you can come in. In 1982, we said, Spain, come on down. And 1999, Czech Republic, Hungary, and Poland, you're allowed at the big boy table. As of 2004, Bulgaria, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Romania, Slovakia, Slovenia. Isn't that fun? Those are the the states that, that obviously the Russians love. Those are those Baltic states that Putin would love to have more control over. And then as of 2009, Albania and Croatia, and then the last to join, 2017, Montenegro. So there you go. Beautiful, right? Okay, that's NATO. What was that last country? Montenegro. Montenegro? Montenegro? (laughs) Montenegro? Montenegro. Montenegro. (laughs) Rolls right off the tongue. Well, they're they're there now. Good. I wouldn't want to hear Donald Trump pronounce it. Uh, hell, I barely like to hear myself pronounce it. All right, so that's what happened at NATO. Ugh, what happened at NATO? Is there any? We talked a little bit about Syria. Is there anything that happened at NATO that matters? No, I. It was. It's all. 
It's all, you know, I did a lot it's, of- it's lunchroom drama. Great. Great. Perfect. All right. Let's talk about impeachment, and then I want to get to this Amazon story. So you may have remember seeing this little kind of a kind of a Q-tip of a face for a while, that man being Adam Schiff. You're not going to see Adam Schiff for a while. Of course, Adam Schiff is the chairman of the Intelligence Committee. That is the committee that we have been focusing on thus far in the impeachment inquiry. So as we said... This is a long step. There's a lot of hoops you have to jump through. And the Democrats are still theoretically doing this faster than most impeachments occur. So Adam Schiff, the chairman of the Intelligence Committee, they're good. Now this goes to the House Judiciary Committee. Now this is led by Jerry Nadler. So he is now in charge of the impeachment inquiry. And Jerry Nadler is taking this very seriously. He said he's not going to take any shit. Did you see that? Yes. Jerry yes. Nadler, he said, I'm not going to take any shit because he's a man of the people. And saying shit evidently means that indeed he is a man of the people because he he said a cuss. And, of course, Jerry Nadler was also there when it came to the Clinton impeachment. Obviously, he was a Democrat. Now, let's not forget, around 30 Democrats actually voted to impeach Bill Clinton. We're not going to see any Republicans voting to impeach Donald Trump, certainly not in the House and certainly not in the Senate. So that does mean for a lot of people, they just see this as hyperpartisan and they may not have this uh, impeachment inquiry resonate with them, which is why we're seeing the polls not budget all. It's still basically 50-50, although 85% of the American people do say they're taking it very seriously on either side, and then 15% of people I saw in this poll said that they didn't know because they're not following it, and I said, I'm so jealous, so jealous of those 15%. Either they have no money, or they have like so much money, they they can choose not to care. So now it is in the Judiciary Committee. They took control of the inquiry Tuesday evening after the House Intelligence Committee voted to approve a report outlining the Democrats' case that the president withheld military aid and a White House meeting from Ukraine while demanding that the country's government announce an investigation into former Vice President Joe Biden and his son. Now, of course, that is Hunter Biden. And the big question is, why did Hunter Biden have a have a job on the board of Burisma? Nepotism, without a doubt. But who cares? I don't know. I mean, people care. <laughs> who cares? So it is what? Ju- it is just one of those things. I don't know. Yes, you've identified nepotism. Congratulations. Yeah, that's true. And of course, Joe Biden. You know, he using his position. I'm sure as vice president. It helped Hunter Biden get on the on the little board yes, I, there I'm for sure Burisma. It also helped Barack Obama get a Netflix deal. But I mean, who Barack I, Obama is not a president right now. If he had the, but if he did have, if he did get to produce on Netflix and be president, I do. I would love to see the content. Just the Barack Joe o- Biden reality show. I, I hope Barack Obama brings back scare tactics. Oh, that would be amazing. That would be really. I would really appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. If you're like most millennials, you know you should be investing, but you're not sure where to start. 
Getting your money right doesn't have to be hard. SoFi Invest makes it easy. It's the first platform to offer stocks, crypto, and automated investing all in one. You'll even get access to SoFi's financial advisors who can answer any questions you have at no cost. Because taking control of your investment shouldn't be intimidating. The fact is, millennials are underinvested. Looking at my own money management, it's easy to see why we don't invest as much. The 2008 crisis was painful for all of us, and a lot of companies make investing seem really complicated. But SoFi Invest makes it super easy for anyone to start investing with as little as just $1. You can even buy a piece of companies like Google or Disney with SoFi stock bits at whatever amount you want. Here's how it works. First, go to SoFi.com slash top app and create an account. Choose to do it yourself or let SoFi's automated investing build your portfolio. Use stock bits to buy fractional shares of your favorite stocks. You can start with just as little as $1. SoFi has been helping me get started with investing and I love their service. They make it so easy to diversify my money and their app is user-friendly and perfect to check on my accounts while I'm traveling. Thanks to SoFi, I'm finally investing in my future. See for yourself how easy it is to start investing with SoFi at SoFi.com slash top app. Fund your SoFi Invest account and receive $25 in mystery stock. Yes, that's free stock just for signing up. So go to SoFi.com slash top hat to claim your free stock today. That's S-O-F-I dot com slash top hat. SoFi Lending Corp. CFL number 6054612. So with the Burisma thing, you know, if you want to look into that as a scandal, I actually don't even care. I hate nepotism. Hunter Biden, I'm sure, has gotten everything handed to him on a silver plate because he is the son of a senator and then the son of a vice president. I really think that I I don't like him. I don't give a crap. I ser- I hate these people who just get everything given to them that don't have to work. I'm a New York Knicks fan, so I despise nepotism because James Dolan is the worst owner in sports and the man needs to be flogged in the town square, tarred and feathered and drowned in the East River. I would love to see James Dolan in the bottom of the East River. But when it comes to holding military aid in order to get dirt on Hunter Biden or in order to you know, expose Hunter Biden, you know, keep it out of it. That's what I'm going to say. Keep it out of it because of course that's what's led to this entire impeachment inquiry. But as I mentioned, uh, when it comes to the polls, not moving house majority leader, Steny Heyer, he's a Democrat out of Maryland. He had to say this when it comes to the polling, not shifting. He says, this is not driven by the polls. This is driven by our responsibility. He goes on to say, I think they're going to vote what they think is their duty to the Constitution. Democratic leaders have insisted for much of this year that there needed to be a bipartisan public support in order for impeachment to be successful. But of course, the Republicans have held firm. Americans' views have largely been unchanged since the impeachment inquiry began in late September. In both October and November, they found that 50% of Americans supported impeaching Donald Trump with the president's approval rating relatively unchanged. Their survey also found 85% of voters, they said they felt strongly, and as I mentioned, 15% said they had no opinions whatsoever. In an NPR PBS NewsHour slash Marist poll, November found 65% of Americans said they couldn't envision changing their minds about impeachment. Their survey also found that Democrats, who are already overwhelmingly back impeachment, are following the proceedings more closely compared to Republicans and independents, all of which you would kind of expect. So 
Hoyer didn't commit to taking up articles of impeachment this month, but suggested that it is possible despite a packed legislative schedule and, of course, uh, the, the, the funding bills that the government has to pass, authorize national defense programs, and reducing prescription drug prices. So this is an interesting part that I think a lot of Americans are kind of upset with the impeachment inquiry. So why are the American people not necessarily thrilled with the impeachment inquiry or the ones that are thrilled with it do you think travis this is a question for you do you think that people care more about um the legislative agenda when it comes to the government funding bills when it comes to authorizing personal defense programs or when it comes to reducing prescription drug prices i feel like the american people would be the democrats would be better off if they just focused on that what instead of impeachment they can if they can do but the thing with the democrats here is when it comes to impeachment they're like we can walk and chew gum but i don't see them chewing any gum when it comes to reducing uh when it comes to reducing pharmaceutical prices if they can do these things both i think it's wonderful but right now i feel like the american people are like as we were talking about before feeling impeachment fatigue even though it's only been going on for like three months no meanwhile we're uh, paying up the nose when it comes to prescription drugs I I have I mean I think that they should be holding Trump accountable. If you you know I this is important in the sense that if you let someone be a piece of shit, they're just going to continue being a piece of shit. Yeah, I agree. Obviously, I mean, we, but the Democrats aren't alchemists. They're not going to turn this piece of shit into gold anytime well, you soon. You know what? No, no president has actually ever been successfully impeached. This is, but they need to they need to sort of be consistent with holding the president accountable for being. Uh, awful. I just hope as they do this, they can also like do stuff that resonates with the American people, such as not so much the military defense stuff. I guarantee you that's going to go through, uh, and the funding bills that's going to happen. We're not going to. Hopefully, we don't see another well, government shutdown because we fly all the time, and I like my TSA workers paid. But when it comes to prescription drugs, I just hope they can get some legislation done. So then you know the American people can be like, oh look at that Democratic Party, they're a viable choice. I, I want to go a little bit. De- so they, we just wrapped impeachment hearing in the uh, the House Judiciary Committee for the day for today, and the Republicans they brought on one expert witness, Jonathan Turley. Jonathan Turley, and I know uh, Jonathan. Do you really? Well, oh yeah, I, I've met I him was, on Fox News many times. I was fascinated by uh, some of his uh, his remarks. Well, he's a professor at George Washington yes. University, and he was actually at uh, at Clinton's impeachment hearing. It's amazing. Uh, the same old faces are yeah, new again. Yeah, because you, you mentioned Nadler was also there. I, here's his here's his uh, closing remark, and it's it's just it's great. Uh, I get it. You are mad. The president is mad. My Democratic friends are mad. My Republican friends are mad. My wife is mad. My kids are mad. My dog is mad. <laughs> and Luna is a golden doodle, and they are never mad. We Aww. are all mad. Where has it taken us? Will a slipshod impeachment make us less mad, or will it give an invitation for the madness to follow in every future administration? Um, I actually think I, that's a great quote. I think that everyone is mad, including Luna. Well, okay, so the, Puffin's I, not mad. It's a little, it's a little rich coming from him because uh, his thing about impeachment with Clinton was uh, you can't let this uh, go, sort of unremarked upon. Well, with Clinton, he lied under oath. Donald Trump never let himself go under oath, so he didn't lie under oath because that's why even the de- that the, oh, no, the no, thirty three damn. But in the hearings for Clinton, I mean this this was uh, he 
he really was pushing for impeachment of, of Bill Clinton. Oh, yeah. But basically, the, the he in this one, in, in the Trump thing, he says it's not important. We should be moving past it. Right, right. Um, well, because I mean, his dog is mad. His dog is upset. Luna, Honestly, well, if Luna Puffin is, was mad, the re, one of the reasons I got annoyed with Occupy Wall Street was because I was taking care of dogs in Wall Street, and I had a chihuahua named Gidget. And her she was so fat, her belly would rub on the ground. And there was a protest going down Beaver Street in Wall Street, and they scared they scared Gidget. And I'm like, I understand the 1%. I get income inequality, but y'all just scared Gidget. Honestly, we- And I don't know if I can support your cause right now. This should be sort of like an Oracle bone situation where we let a bunch of dogs loose in the, the impeachment inquiry yep. and just see what they do. Because they might- if they, you know what? Okay, so they if got a better chance of getting it right than these if people. If we get a bunch of chihuahuas in there, and they're in there, and they oh, start yelp yeah. and yapping and, and yelping, what does that mean? We'd have to sort of interpret what the what the dogs think about the energy in the I room. I think if we got a bunch of chihuahuas in there, we'd be in a nuclear war in like a week. You, oh, you think? Oh, the chihuahuas? Are the chihuahuas? Uh, are they pushing for? Oh, they're not pacifists, my friend. Pushing for a cold winter. If we got a bunch winter? of yes, if we got a bunch of Great Danes in there, I think we can have peace for a while. Peace through strength. I honestly think Puffin. Puffin would, might push the button. Puffin, Puffin would. Puffin he would might. lead to the lead to an Armageddon. If I, someone can create I a video, I hate to say of, that about your dog, but no, no. If someone could, could create a video of Puffin hitting the nuclear button, that would be <laughs> incredible. Um, so again, going back to Steny Hoyer, just lastly here, he says uh, regarding impeachment, he says I think there's time to do it before the end of the year, but I'm not saying that we're going to do it by the end of the year. He goes on to say, if the Judiciary Committee comes forward with recommendations. I think there's time to do it. So, they're going to try to get this done before the end of the year. I would not hold your breath uh, because I just honestly, at some point, uh, they're going to want to go on Christmas vacation. And if we know one thing about our politicians, they love their vacation time. All right, there it is. That's what's going on right now with impeachment. Again, in a nutshell, if you're at a bar and you're talking about this, it is out of the Intelligence Committee. It is in the Judiciary Committee. The Intelligence Committee is led by Adam Schiff. The Judiciary Committee is led by Jerry Nadler. It's a whole nother round executive, of exactly what we just saw. Executive producer Dick Wolf. Executive producer Dick Wolf. There you go. Dun, dun, dun. Um, so if you're at a bar, now you can sound like you kind of know what's happening um, because God knows it is difficult to keep your finger on because none of it makes sense. All of these rules were created by people with early onset dementia. All right. Just lastly, I want to read this article. It comes from the New York Post, but don't judge it. Uh, it was written by Maureen Donnelly. The headline is Amazon warehouses are, quote, cult-like sweatshops run by robots. You know, I always want to take my shots at the robots whenever I can. Our overlords are getting too much power. I can see it happening right now. Maureen Donnelly took a job with Amazon when the retail Goliath opened a fulfillment center on Staten Island in September of 2018. She's 46 years old. Last week, more than 100 workers and their supporters gathered outside the same 855,000 square foot packing plant to protest working conditions and spotlight newly released data showing the rate of worker injury was three times higher than the national average for similar warehouse work. Three times higher at Amazon. So this is what she had to say. She says, I'm not afraid of hard work. 
She's been a waitress, a newsroom clerk, an EMT, spent summers on a dairy farm in Ireland. She goes on to say, at every job I've ever had, there was a sense of a team effort. But when I walked into the Amazon warehouse, there wasn't a team anything. It was just do your job. She said she soon learned that the only difference between an Amazon warehouse and a third world sweatshop were robots. Evidently, in the beginning, uh, you pass an online test. Uh, She goes in for an orientation at the Hilton Garden Inn. Oh, my God. Hilton Garden Inn. Very nice. She was very enthusiastic. She was like, I want to work. The, the uniform is just T-shirts and jeans. Um, Amazon employees said, quote, it was the best company. It was beyond huge. She reeled off all of the perks, uh, stock shares, employee discounts, full benefits, four-day work weeks with a ton of mandatory overtime. Uh, she says she was sold and the pay was awesome, 16 bucks an hour. She was drug tested. They had little packets. They swab your mouth. Uh, they take a picture of you. They filled out cards, uh, gave your shift preference. You were offered roughly 12-hour shifts four days a week. Uh, she wanted nights because she worked at a bar. She was a bar manager. She ended up getting 5 p.m. to 4.45 a.m. On the first day, about 100 of us newbies, this is according to uh, Maureen, she says, on the first day, about 100 of us newbies gathered in a conference room and a bunch of managers got up to talk. They were all the same. They all drank the Kool-Aid. They said, this is the best place to work. Again, hence very kind of cult-like. They assigned her as, quote, a stower. And so basically what that means is a robot zips by and then you got to fill the rack as fast as possible and then you got to go and then you got to grab a whole bunch of other stuff and then another robot comes by very, very fast. There's no cell phones allowed, which was a massive problem for one single mother in her 30s who had a five-year-old daughter. Also, you get 30 minutes for lunch. However, it took around 15 minutes just to walk to the cafeteria. Therefore, you basically got no minutes for lunch. And the managers were always asking, where's your water bottle? And reminding me to stay hydrated. I think they were worried about people passing out and falling off the line. But filling up a water bottle all day also meant you had to pee. And too many bathroom breaks could get the bosses all hot and bothered. You actually had to inform your manager if you were leaving to go to the bathroom. I hadn't done that since kindergarten. I used to try to hold it until a break. We got two 15-minute breaks sandwiched between 30 minutes for lunch. One time I couldn't hold it in anymore and left five minutes early, so they cut five minutes off one of my other breaks. And I mean, it's just ridiculous. There were no chairs at the workspace. The only place to sit was in the bathroom, which was a seven-minute walk from the third-floor station. At my station, I stocked everything you can imagine, normal stuff you'd buy at the store, garbage bags, board games, lots of toys. They were the hardest to stow. I also stocked dildos and vibrators. There were cans of pet food and baby formula. That heavy stuff, lots and lots of books. You had to align them properly so you could read the titles. The weirdest thing I had to stow was chipmunk finger puppets, a set of five. We were to wear orange vests and black and gray gloves. You couldn't touch any of the merchandise. It was hot as hell. It was about 150 degrees in the building. And the people kept on asking, can we get fans? And they said, no. There were hundreds of robots zigging and zagging on each floor. It was extremely creepy. No two bots ever crashed. The human stowers and pickers were on were on the perimeter of the robot fenced-in area. If the humans ever crossed into the robot's domain, it was a fireable offense. The job was mind-numbing, the same thing every hour, every day. Lather, rinse, repeat. I had to stock at least 12 items a minute. It was not even close. It's physically impossible. You were constantly like, I gotta get this done. The computer constantly showed you how far you were from making the quota. I wasn't disciplined because I was a newbie. 
and I quit before I could find out the punishment. In one story in The Verge, Amazon lawyers confirmed the automated system tracks every second of the worker's day when too much time has been spent off-task. Warnings are auto-generated. If a worker receives six warnings within a 12-month period, the employee receives an automatically generated termination notice. They can't even fire you to your own face. The job crushed her spirit and crippled her body. Uh, she said she spent nearly 12 hours a day with no one to talk to for more than five minutes. She wasn't sleeping well, getting cranky with her family. Knees were killing her. Back and shoulders were killing her. Left hit throbbed. And every shift, she had swollen ankles, which were triple the size. By the second week, she says, I stayed as long as I did because of my father. I wanted him to be happy that I had a job. Um, but nonetheless, it was just absolutely impossible. The last straw was someone got hurt on a ladder. They never explained what happened, but the rookies were retrained on ladders. And then they told me with the holidays coming, I would have to work more mandatory overtime. So basically, the computers, the robots are running the show. They can't even fire you to your face. And uh, it's just absolutely disgusting. She said she laughed at the commercial where uh, an Amazon employee said, we sweat, we best our butt. If I didn't enjoy what I was doing, I wouldn't be here. Basically, Amazon jobs are absolutely horrific and don't believe the commercials. Going along with that, if you have a chance, read this article on TechCrunch called What is this weird Twitter army of Amazon drones cheerfully defending warehouse work? Uh, and it's basically, it talks about the, the Twitter Amazon bots I was talking about before. Amazon has developed an unnerving Stepford-like presence on Twitter in the form of several accounts of definitely real on-the-floor workers who regurgitate talking points and assure the world that all is right in the company's infamously punishing warehouse jobs. With such tweets as, Hello, I work in an Amazon FC in Washington, and our wages and benefits are very good. Oh, that's such a normal Amazon tweet. Amazon pays FC employees 30% more than traditional retail stores and, uh, and offers full medical benefits from day one. Working conditions are very good, clean, slash, well-lit. Safety is top priority at my facility. Another one says... Did you know that Amazon pays warehouse workers 30% more than other retailers? I feel proud to work for Amazon. They've taken very good care of me, much better than some of my previous employers. Wow. Uh, so there, it just goes on and on like that. And people are sort of interacting with them. And it is amazing to see their upbeat, just completely defiantly cheery and smiley uh, responses to them. So I, I highly recommend reading that uh, TechCrunch article. That's amazing. So there you go. That's the Amazon warehouse. The robots come by. You better not mess up. If you do, you're going to be fired uh, by an automated service. So there you go. Jeff Bezos, that's the hero of humanity uh, currently. I mean, these are the jobs that are available to the American people. And when we talk about, you know, how the middle class is getting squeezed and completely screwed, this is just another example of that. There is no like, what are you supposed to do? Get an Etsy, I guess. Uh, because the idea of working in one of these Amazon warehouses is simply not feasible. And all they're doing is pushing people so far that people cannot actually do the job because we're human beings. And then they're just going to say, well, look at that. People didn't want to do it, so we better automate the entire thing. And, of course, they're already working on that. But it reminds me of the documentary Going Postal, where this is what happened at the post office, where people just kind of uh, became an extension of the machine. The envelopes would show up. You got The, the machine would show up. You got to put all the envelopes in there. And if you, if you mess up, if you're too late, boom, you're fired. Next thing you know, someone's shooting up an office. So there you go, everyone. The American dream is alive and well. Um, thank you all so much for listening. We hope you have a great weekend. Again, we will see you in Columbus, Ohio, Detroit, Michigan, and Toronto. Cannot wait to go see you all on the road. 
and hope you have a wonderful weekend. Hail yourselves! We will talk to you soon. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.